1: Welcome to the Ortho Joe Show, a joint production of the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery and OrthoEvidence. In our world, orthopedic research is king, and current topics from our respective publications are analyzed weekly. Here is Mohit Bhandari from OrthoEvidence and Mark Swinkowski from the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. Well, good morning, Mo. Morning. Where are you this morning?
0: I am, yeah, I'm at home in Burlington, but I will be leaving for sunny Dubai tomorrow evening um, for a course we're uh, starting called High Impact Research, Mark, and I think you'll be participating with us as we take it around the world. But it's um, it's been really exciting, yeah, to kind of uh-huh. promote research. But beyond research, right, it's, it's like, what can we do that creates an impact? I think we're trying to sh- shift to research for the sake of doing research, which, you know, you do it to yeah. learn, then how do you make an impact with it? And uh, that's, there's a lot of curiosity around that. Not, not to say that I have all the answers, but we're going to share some ideas there.
1: Yeah, great. Well, I'm actually at home, uh, getting ready to go to the airport, um, uh-huh. and uh, therefore I don't have my ortho. I don't have my standard presentation background, I, you know. But for you, I'm I'm on a. I've got a golf shirt. Uh, yes. No I guess I got, yes, I got yes. criticized for, for being an old fogey yesterday, for, <laughs> having a tie for the last recording, uh, and I don't and I don't have my ortho Joe mug, but I've got an old American Board of Orthopedic Surgery uh, mug that uh,
0: I don't want to I don't want to put brands, but I have a, a sort of a Canadian brand, a Canadian brand. But I do Horton. keep my always close by, always, so I have it no. kind of double up here.
1: I love Tim Hortons. We were uh, we were just up uh, uh, at uh, Cabo. Uh, mm playing a little golf, uh, in Nova Scotia and oh. got my Tim Hortons fix. So
0: there is something anyway. that it's, 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 I have to imagine that it's one of the top five Canadian things Yeah, at least, you know, there's maple syrups up there pretty high too, and hockey's up there, but boy, Tim yeah. Hortons up there.
1: It is a, it's a fine outfit. Well, <laughs> so. Uh, what I want to talk about, uh, Mo, uh, is uh, a recent article that uh, we published on ankle fractures, which are very, very common uh, injury, and it's it's really focused on the uh, the the issue of gravity stress test, and it's a Norwegian group. Uh, they they looked at a, a cohort of patients where they they conducted these gravity stress tests in 149 patients with Weber B fractures, and Mm -hmm. uh, some of them were classified as stable and some as partially unstable with basically a positive gravity stress test. Then they treated all of them with a functional boot and weight-bearing, both groups, and followed them for two years with uh, validated outcome scores uh, times two uh, and radiographs, and really, uh, wh- what they, what they found was that there was no difference in the functional outcome scores, no radiographic differences, uh, for these patients who half or nearly half had unstable or partially stable, uh, fractures, uh, with the gravity stress test. And obviously we, you know, I'm as guilty as anyone else of, of appreciating research that Backs up your own biases, and I've I've never used gravity stress tests. I've always used uh, early weight bearing and orthosis with a repeat X ray, and uh, so I, I'm just wondering what you have uh, discovered in uh, after I alerted you that that's what I want to talk about in OE yeah. uh, about well, the whole issue of uh, stability and ankle fractures. Mm.
0: Yeah, so it's it, it's an interesting thing, and I actually went back and just started looking back at original sort of work. So you'll you'll remember that OE really focuses on randomized trials. So the one thing that there's a paucity of truly is, is randomized clinical trials that are looking at um, stress testing specifically and the outcomes, and then, you know, what you do with those. What we're seeing lots of in the literature, which I went back and looked at, was just large observational data sets to say, okay, well, you know, what's the predictive value of doing it? And, you know, it's interesting because it takes me back a little while I still remember seeing in the audience when Paul Ternetta and Tim McConnell presented a paper, and they had called it I'm just gonna read a couple of these things here because yeah. you'll see how it kind of uh, evolves. Stress examination of the supination external rotation type fibular fracture. So the isolated fibular fracture that everyone thought, okay, well, you just you, you just treat that, or you, you know, depending on what you're gonna do with it, you either operate or you won't. But for the most part, it was uh, you know, might probably treat these patients non-operatively. Yeah. 36% of those were identified, or roughly that one in three as having an unstable pattern based on stress testing. So this idea of stress testing, and this was published um, in the Journal Bone and Joint Surgery, 2004. So it was interesting to see that, you know, there was this, it's 20 years ago that we've been talking about this at a level that, you know, starting to get that debate going. Ken Koval, um, Nirmal Tejwani, uh, Ken Eagle, and the same issue, same issue of the JBGS that year also talked about, well... Stress testing is one thing, right? And and they had found even a bigger number, sixty five percent of patients with isolated fractures. But they had said, if if they have no clinical symptoms on the medial side, didn't matter. So they had sort of started talking about, well, we think it's you know if you have if you've got pain of palpation, if you've got swelling, if you've got ecchymosis, all those sorts of things start adding up the you know sort of the the probability that there's you know, more significant problems again. This basically more alerting everyone that, you know, we should be aware of it. And maybe, you know, uh, deltoid ligament repair should be one of the options or what are you going to do? But I think what you're saying at the end of the day is doesn't seem to really matter, right? I mean, it, like it's, you're going to keep an eye out for it, but the stress testing itself in isolation didn't matter. So numerous studies thereafter have basically hinted to the idea that if you have a stress test in isolation that's positive with no clinical symptoms, doesn't make any sense. So, it really focused a lot on the clinical findings, very similar to, I think, what your approach has been, Mark, which is, you know, try them and see how they do and then keep evaluating, right, rather yeah. than base it on a an asymptomatic stress test that that may or may or may not show more than four millimeters of widening of the medial clear space kind of thing. And so, it's interesting. And I can go down and down and down that line, mm-hmm. uh, but there does seem to have been an evolution. So, I don't know… Um, if you perceive this particular study as being um, yet another one in the you know in the mounting evidence that maybe the you know that the value of the stress test is well somewhat limited now,
1: yeah, I think that's that's the position of this study uh, in a very uh, I think well done way uh, in this this type of investigation. Um, it's it's definitely swung the pendulum back uh, against uh, trial trials of weight bearing for the Weber B fracture which, you know, as I said, that's been my bias, uh, but I, <laughs> you know, oh. I, I sort of do like to follow the evidence, you know, like you do. So ah, uh, uh, <laughs> absolutely.
0: Oh, absolutely. And and the thing is that the risk you have if you, if you, if you act in all these is a lot of false, false, negative, like, false um, positives, right. In the context of that, you know, if you think there's something going on when there isn't, then, you know, you're, you're, you're over treating in some way as well. So you have to be a little right. careful, but I think at the end of the day, you know, Managing it, being aware that it could exist, but also you know tracking and following for it, I think is, is is the key. And like, like anything else, right? You, you just have to be aware of it and um, and and not be too dogmatic in, in in the approach you use, which I think is very very helpful. The bigger issue, though, is 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 when do we know? Um, I guess you know in this whole in this whole process, you know, it's been twenty years of looking at research in this area when do you know that you have the answer like in other words i'm sure that right now there are going to be um those listening who say you know no 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 you know like Mm -hmm. you know i use it and here's how i use it versus those who say i you know you don't need to use it it's a classic you know to operate or not to operate to do this or not to do this you know to act on a on um on a prior Mm -hmm. likelihood and you know does the stress test improve your likelihood but it doesn't seem to be um Gaining momentum, it seems. If anything, it seems to be losing steam. At least in the, uh, you know, in, in in favor of other standard approaches.
1: Agree completely. But that that was my next question for you, uh, my friend, who has uh, such a great experience with with large trials. Uh, do we need a large trial uh, on the use of stress tests or not? Uh, what 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 would your view be at this point?
0: Yeah. Yeah, and so you know, it seems it would seem to me that you know, uh, and, and can I ask a question? How, how many patients were in this study? Like the the one that you that just came out that you just talked about? Yeah,
1: roughly? it was just, just. It was just. Uh, I'm not. I'm going to look at it. 149 uh, okay. patients. So not a big, not a big. No, trial. but
0: still, I mean, it's over 100, which is great. And a lot of the studies were about 100 or 100 or so patients. You know. If, if you look at um before jumping into trials i guess right it's always to say you know what can we modify what can't we modify so you can actually do a stress test or you don't right, right. you can't choose whether someone has ecchymosis you can't choose whether someone has pain to palpation you can't choose whether they have swelling for example so you know there'll be some factors that are modifiable and some that aren't and i guess the broader question is because like, so i'll go back to like the two papers that were in JBJS. 20 years ago, you know, Tornetta's paper, and I'm and I hoping I'm quoting it right, because if I'm not, I'm going to hear about it for sure. I know I'm no going <laughs> to I'm, right. I'm hoping Tim <laughs> McConnell will, will uh, apologize to my friend if, if I haven't quoted this right. But they had basically written and said, you know, they didn't believe that there were other factors. So they had actually said that, you know, tenderness, ecchymosis, swelling were not predictive of deltoid instability. However, in the same journal, you know, uh, Ken Koval and Ken Eagle had written, quite frankly, quite specifically that, that they did have independent association so when there's uncertainty about what factors are even leading to outcomes if you choose what the outcome of interest is and you know and i guess that would be you know some period of time after you think um an ankle fracture six months a year maybe two years and then look in a very large court no different than what's happened with acl no no difference what happened with hip fractures we still are still trying to do a big cord with hip fractures mark but yeah. uh small humerus uh-huh. fractures just big data sets identify all the variables and then start a very targeted approach whether it's going to be an algorithm that you're comparing a versus b uh, or it will just be one specific thing because it may turn out that all of our focus in spending money on a stress test may be wasted because we've missed the fact that there may be two or three other really important variables that we should be spending our money on that could have really important outcomes for patients with ankle fractures. so right. I don't think I've answered your question, um, but I think I've answered your question.
1: Yeah, I think I think so. You're 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 you've given a hint that a large trial would be beneficial. So I was just thinking the randomized uh, no stress test and stress test for Weber bees, and f- it would be great if we had five six hundred patients in each arm followed for mm-hmm. a year. Uh, this this study they followed them for two years, which is even better. Um, but uh, followed for a year would be easier. Uh, that would really be, uh, I think, as you alluded to earlier, the answer. Uh, and then we could put that stress testing to, to, to rest. That uh, yes, seems right, yeah. seem reasonable?
0: So, so another way to take this as well is could be, so you do the stress test, and then the question is, what do you do with the, with, with, the, with the information from that stress test? So you could say, you know, in 100 ankles, let's say you might have 36 that are stress test positive. So what do you do with that? So once you stress tested them and someone's stress positive – should you then randomize them at that point point? say, OK, well, what do you do? You know, so because, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you hadn't done it, you would have just treated them all non-operatively. One, you would actually have to do something for and something you, then you would treat the other group non-operatively. And then the other group would be treated non-operatively. So right. it's almost like this 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 pathway. And then it gets back to the debate of what would you do in a stress test positive ankle, right? right? So what would be the discussion? And, you know, <laughs> um, having just have visited sort of the robust discussions that are happening at the um, American Academy of uh, Foot and Ankle Surgery, I suspect there would be lots and lots of interesting debate about what would be the optimal management of dealing with the incompetent deltoid ligament in an ankle fracture, an otherwise right. isolated So... You know, you see, the more we start talking, the more yes, we start right. coming up with multiple designs. But the point of the matter is we should be having these discussions, right? I mean, it's an important topic. And if in ankles, wrists, uh, hips, the mm-hmm. fact that we haven't seen a massive, massive global evaluation of outcomes just in a large way collecting, because there's there's enough ankles um, alone that you could create a very large database. I know that there's been some attempt in proximal humorous in Canada CIHR yes. did fund a study a few thousand patients I think maybe it's more than that by now but um but a large number of patients to try to understand prognostic factors after which you would design trials I wonder if we should be doing the same with ankle fractures and maybe it's being done and I'm just not aware but that would be a very um important step I think for us
1: couldn't agree more uh and it certainly seems like the next logic next logical step uh it, yeah it, it's we we are always talking about how to design large simple trials, but the word simple is just it never is simple <laughs> to not be simple.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and in our day and age in Canada, it's frugal too, right? We, be, we can't unfortunately the cost of doing research is just mm-hmm. becoming almost prohibitive for most, you know, national organizations. So where do we do this? So either we continue to find new sources of revenue for these trials, mm-hmm. um, or we find more efficient ways, you know, which is data linkages, uh, simpler data collection. You don't, like, you said it from day one, I'll never forget, mm-hmm. you know, Julie Agil, first day says, I do not want, like every, like, what are you doing with every data point you're collecting on the sprint mm-hmm. trial back, going back to 1998? Yeah. I remember that. And it was at that time, I thought, you know, why do we care? Like, this is collected what we can. But the reality was, you're absolutely right. It takes a lot of energy and time to collect information. And it's a waste of time to collect information you don't need. So... <laughs> It's, it's, I remember that very clearly.
1: Well, good, You're, you've always been, you, you've always been a thoughtful student. <laughs> In addition to being a fantastic leader, Mo. Um, well, well, it sounds like we don't have the answer, but this study maybe will provoke somebody to get working on that, uh, that large uh, cohort information step uh, and then uh, design an appropriate trial afterwards. But for now, uh, because my bias has been confirmed, I'm going to continue to not do stress <laughs> tests and treat them with early weight bearing and follow them with uh, x rays of two to three weeks. So, well, Nothing that's been great. Beats Nothing <laughs> beats follow up, Mark, right? Nothing beats follow up. So, that's exactly right. <laughs> well, that's been great chatting with you and uh, safe travels. Uh, and uh, I'll, maybe I'll cross uh, planes with you somewhere. Oh, maybe,
0: maybe. Another I hope later. Well, I just hope it's, I've got, if if you're on my plane, you're in the wrong place. I'll tell you that. We've we've got a very awry, but anyways, yeah. Safe travels.
1: Yeah. Enjoy that. Tim Hortons. I wish I had some.
0: (laughs) Right. Second one coming.
1: Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye. Bye.